Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for the unofficial 40. Soonerscoop.com's very official recruiting podcast featuring Soonerscoop.com recruiting publisher, Josh McQuistian. Get your recruiting fix from the leader in Sooner Recruiting. It's the unofficial 40 with your hosts, Soonerscoop.com publishers, Gary Murdoch and Josh McQuistian. Welcome back, everybody. It is time for another edition of the Unofficial 40, and we want to welcome in uh, Josh McQuestion for this podcast. We had a team podcast last week. Now we're back to uh, our official recruiting podcast, joined as well by Eddie Radosevich, Joe Duvall, uh, guys in the studio. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Good to be here. And uh, Josh McQuestion is joining us from uh, Studio B. Josh, get it right this time. It's it's our big time Studio B that you're uh, joining us from. I can't believe we rented this space. It's amazing <laughs> that this, this thing is within the Sooner Scoop, uh, you know, budget. It's, yeah, that, well, yeah, okay. The RV is next. <laughs> the mobile unit. I'm, I'm going to make that happen. We, you know, we're going to Kansas City this weekend. I hate to tell you this, guys, but like one of the premier uh, RV places is in Kansas City. We could go by and look. Need get, to, one, get one for the way back. Need to hit the lottery before we uh, head up there. Make 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 a millions. Did somebody win last night? I don't know. It was if up they to have like them, we got to get some. If nobody did, we need to get some uh, tickets. Wouldn't, wouldn't the next drawing be Saturday night? I think Mega Millions is on Fridays. So. Oh, it is. Okay. I think well. that a drawing. I think it's Tuesdays and Fridays. I can't believe it's even Wednesday. So, the day that we're doing this podcast, Josh, are you a lottery guy? You ever play? Did you play when oh. the Powerball got to like a billion? Yes. Yeah. I, you know, and I, it's so funny. And you always hear people talk about this, like. I don't know why 80 million isn't enough motivation for me. Like that's that's not enough. That's not going to do. But if it'll go over like 400, then I'm in. So you know, I don't really know. And I I think everybody's like that. But I don't really know why 80 million isn't enough for us. I mean, I know we're really living large at Soonerscoop.com. But you know that I guess that's just going to take me into a different tax bracket that I just I'm not that interested in going into. By the way, guys, you're sleeping in the car this weekend, so just just so you know, <laughs> I'm used to it. Uh. Have you, you have slept in the car before, haven't you? I have a you? long history of sleeping in cars. I used to sleep in a car in high school, go out, get drunk, and just never go home, and then sleep in my buddy's van. Walmart parking lot. That happened to me once. Absolutely. Yes, sir. I've literally slept. We went to Kansas State one year. I did. This was uh, this was pre-Sooner Scoop days. This is back when I was working for First Down Publications. Uh, they were cheap bastards. And uh, I didn't really do a good job of setting my hotel, and uh, I couldn't find a hotel between here and Manhattan. So I just went into a Walmart and bought a pillow and an alarm clock, and I slept in the Walmart parking lot. I got up the next day and I covered OU Kansas State. (laughs) I think that was Josh Freeman year there. I think that was the... 
what's his name? The disaster coach, Ron Prince. Oh, yeah, Ron Prince. They were up 49 nothing. Now, I was thinking this story was like predating, you know, I thought you had like a flip phone in your car. I, I didn't know. The I didn't hotel's have a app had then. to be in existence when Josh Freeman was on the football field. So, okay, so no. That feels like that's on I you. Think, I think that's 2008 that year. No, no, no. That was way before then. It was at least, it was like 03, 02, something like that. So, so that's like L. Roberson days or something? I was so tired. I can't remember who was playing in that game. Are you sure it was even Kansas State? It, it I know there been. was a lot of purple, so <laughs> I can tell you, yes, it was Kansas State. So anyway, but yeah, we're going up to Kansas City again this weekend, the Rivals Camp. Uh, Josh, I know you've got some possible news out there. I don't know if you wanted to share that yet or uh, anything anything that you want to just break down about who we're going to be looking at this weekend in uh, Kansas City. Yeah, well, you know, I think the guy that, you know, all four of us were most excited to get a chance to look at was Bray Walker from Southmore, uh, Oklahoma's 2018 commitment. I know uh, is already a Rivals 100 member for 2018, a guy that's probably the state's most legitimate five-star um, possibility in, in close to a decade, I guess over a decade uh, since the last one when Gerald McCoy was in 2006. So he had, he had made plans to come. Found out earlier this week he's actually not going to be able to make it. So, you know, that's a little bit of a disappointment, but there is a lot of Oklahoma talent that should be there. Guys like C.J. Moore, uh, Levi Draper, who we all saw in Dallas, but I know he he was very open with how how poor he felt like he did in, in Dallas. And so I think what he's going to do is try and go up there. He wants to get that five-star challenge invitation, and he knows based on what happened in Dallas that's not going to happen. So he's trying to go to Kansas City and kind of show, um, uh, just put on a better show. He, he was a little sick from everything I understand in Dallas. Eddie and I have seen him in person. What I saw in Dallas does not match up with the kid that I know and that I see on tape. So I do buy the sickness thing, and I, I'm really interested to see how he kind of matches up. And then you move on to a lot of younger 2018 guys. Uh, C.J. Moore from Tulsa Union is a guy that's expected to be there. Uh, a guy that I really like that I think is not getting any attention so far is Israel Antwine from OKC Millwood, and he'll be there. He's a 2018 DN guy, really fits what Oklahoma wants to do up front, very natural, kind of playing that four-tech. So he's another one of those guys. And then when you look around you know, at how much Oklahoma's going to recruit places like Arkansas, Kansas City, Missouri – uh, even, you know, you get a lot of guys also at this camp from like Georgia, you know, it's it's Rivals' last camp, so you get a lot of kind of outliers, guys that wouldn't normally show up at a camp in Kansas City do for this event. So I, I think we'll see some interesting guys, and there should be plenty of names for us to talk about. Do you remember Israel Antwine when we went out and saw him at uh, Millwood, Kerry? He was, I think he was in eighth grade at the time. Uh, I remember taking a picture of him, though, uh, and I think that we it's the picture that we still have up for his rival's profile. Okay. He was an eighth grader, though, and we went out there, and it was like, oh, God, who's that? Is he a junior? And I, I remember the coach remember. who's like, I do no, he's an eighth grader. He he was, he was uh, I'm trying to be nice as a, as a fellow fat guy, but he like he was like wearing a T-shirt, and everybody else had like on a, a jersey, or, mm-hmm. and uh, he was just, he was, he was marshmallowy. Yeah, and he actually, I saw him at the Oklahoma City preview, though, and he definitely has lengthened out. He's he's kind of started to grow into his body a little bit. Okay. And, uh, he He's definitely an interesting guy that I want to see. And then, uh, obviously, Levi Draper is going to be somebody that uh, I was surprised how bad he was at Rivals Dallas, but yeah, I remember saying how sick out. he was. 
Uh, I hope he doesn't expect any more wonderful Ralph Lauren pictures from me. Well, just need the lighting right. That was one of the better pictures. I mean, he's got some great hair, so I bet you he can see. Has he cut the hair recently? Anybody know? To my knowledge, no. I think the hair is still going. So, you know, that's... um, But yeah, I I, I do want to say for everybody that's extra excited about my Israel Antwine uh, tease... I think Carrie's definition of marshmallowy should get everyone really jacked up to see what that kid's about. <laughs> well, he was in the eighth grade. I mean, it was like three years. Give him ago. a break. Yeah, who was the kid that was the the that transferred to Florida? That was there oh, then. Uh, that he was committed. He Kansas was committed State to Kansas State. And yeah, uh, uh, and he's actually at an Arizona JUCO now. Um, he's been all over the country. Um, man, what's that guy's name? I can see his face. That's that's really bad. Oh well. You yeah. suck, well, Josh. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I'm. I'm. Yeah. Hey, let me that's... let me ask you this. Okay, uh, Levi Draper. I, we all know he didn't have a good showing down in Dallas, but you guys have both seen him in person. I haven't. I'm just curious. Is this? Can you make the Austin Box comparison with him? I mean, what his team's best player leads his team to a state championship, makes plays for them on offense as well. That works for him. I mean, that, and if you put it that way. Uh, I think it works. Uh, Eddie and I saw him in their state title game against Altus, and uh, he was, I mean, he's just long and rangy and fast. And I felt like Box was more of a physical presence. I mean, even though he played quarterback and everything for Enid when he was there, he was still a pretty. He would kill you, though. Yeah, I he mean, he would that, run was you it, over through you. Was it, was it Cooper, the receiver that he beheaded in the game, going over the middle in, I think, the state semifinal when he's playing for Mustang? It might have been. I. I I kind of remember that play, though. I, I actually, uh, Austin and I played Little League together, and we played uh, baseball to get against each other in high Ooh. school, and he uh, he played for Enid. Yeah. He came to Norman North. He actually dropped a fly ball in center field that ended up costing them the game, and he punched a hole in our shed <laughs> when he came right through. I mean, that sounds about right. A metal shed? Oh, I wish. That would be even more impressive. But it was like a wooden shed. It was almost like Shredder or something from the Ninja Turtles, just rah. I mean, that's a guy that had, I mean, he was playing center field and punching holes in walls. That's the kind of guy box was and draper levi's that kind of an athlete but i i don't think he's has that strength yeah uh, that austin had well and just uh, i mean i know you know we'll be out there looking at leo anybody else that really that you're you're excited about seeing josh that you've heard of i know we don't have a full list yet of guys that uh, the, of the roster that's gonna be in kansas city well you know and, and that's kind of the thing is i've got some guys that i think were coming but like i said <laughs> with the bray walker news and then earlier today a guy that I know Joe and I both really like is uh, Adrian Wilson, the star oh, yeah. receiver from Tulsa Union. He's not going to go, so that that's kind of I'm I'm a little leery to be like, oh yeah, man, I'm excited to see that guy, and then get all our fans all excited about it, and then have to tell him Sunday, yeah, he didn't actually show up in Kansas City. So I, I'm a little hesitant about that, and that happens with camps. But like I said, I, I think you're going to see plenty of guys. A guy that I'm hoping is going to be there, and I really need to check the list is uh, Akil Byers, the uh, defensive lineman from Arkansas. I, I think he's going to be there, but I'm not 100% about that. And, you know, he's one of Oklahoma's top targets at that position. He's a guy that I think, if I'm not mistaken, Calvin Thibodeau is seeing today or tomorrow. So, I mean, it, it, there's going to be – it's kind of a timely thing. We can talk to him, see how that, you know, how that went as far as, you know, what you can really do when a coach visits campus. But – I, I think Oklahoma is really pushing for him. And, uh, you know, I mentioned it in some of our notes earlier this week. From what I've gathered, you know, he's got OU, Alabama, and Florida State in his top three. 
So, you know, that's he, he's one of those guys that I think everybody kind of wants. And if he can clear up his grade stuff, he'd be a huge get for Oklahoma. So, Josh, people aren't really used to guys from Arkansas, the top player in Arkansas, coming out without an Arkansas offer and to be expected to go to the Razorbacks. So I think maybe OU fans out there are a little skeptical. Like, okay, I, I get that he's an Arkansas guy, but I'm, they, they remember uh, oh, what was the guy that uh, – oh, shoot, I'm keeping on blanking on it now. Went to Harbear. Uh, Bray, what? Uh, Bray Walker, not, not Bray Walker. Bray, Bray Cook. Uh, 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 oh my God. Bray Cook is that was it? yeah. Bray Bray Cook. Cook. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly. Who I it mean, is. everybody. I mean, he seemed to be the guy that man. He really liked Oklahoma. He was going to come out here. He 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 was uh, invested in uh, uh, was that Patton at the time that was recruiting him and and yeah, it was. It, and in the end, it didn't matter. He chose the local school, and that seems to happen with Arkansas. So why why should OU fans not expect the same thing to happen with buyers down the road? Well, you know, I, I think any time, and, you know, you brought up uh, Bray, and Bray was one of those guys that Arkansas did offer very early on. I mean, same deal. And Oklahoma was going head-to-head, and I think at that time you had some uh, enthusiasm for it because Arkansas wasn't really, you know, I guess if you want to consider Arkansas on the upswing right now, I mean, that's highly debatable. Um then at that time, Arkansas wasn't really there. It was kind of felt like they had kind of hit a lull and weren't really moving in the right direction. In this case, Arkansas feels like they are, especially along the lines where they're starting to produce some NFL guys, but they haven't offered him. And at some point, that becomes personal for these kids. That's you know They'll forgive a lot. And you can say, you know hey, we offered you early and then we didn't talk to you for a month. And kids will kind of overlook that. But when you just flat out haven't offered the in-state guy that a lot of people think is one of the top two players in your home state, that's a tough pill for a lot of kids to swallow. I mean, you know, you look at it from Oklahoma's perspective. If they still hadn't offered Trey Brown or Isaiah Thomas or somebody like that, that door probably closes. So, you know, that's something that I think can be a, a factor for Oklahoma. And Oklahoma has the nice aspect of offering Hey, we're you know we may not be the home state school, but we're really close. You don't have to go ten hours away to play big time ball in an Alabama or a Florida State or something like that. You can still stay fairly close to home, get far enough away from your parents to have a little breathing room, and you know so there's a pitch they can make. But there's no question. I mean, if Arkansas offers even now, they they become an immediate contender. There's no doubt about it. It's interesting uh, the success Oklahoma has had in this region. We talked about it earlier. Um, the, I don't know what you would call it, the Ozarks region. Uh, you have guys like you know Blake Bell and Geno Grissom, uh, uh, Justin McKay, even though he ended up transferring, they had success. Dan Tapco, Trey Millard out of Missouri. So this Kansas City camp should be interesting uh, to see what comes out of this region because, like Josh said, Oklahoma provides a local powerhouse uh, where they don't have to go too far from home and still be able to play some blue blood college football. By the way, youngster, it's called the Midlands. The Midlands. <laughs> yes, Josh knows what I'm talking. About. It is pretty crazy how that was the uh, that was the super prep definite. I think super prep and prep star were the ones, and even whatever it was that Bobby Burton, Jeremy Crabtree used to be a part of. But Midlands was the official Kansas and Oklahoma was even included in that. But Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, those are it's, all Midlands. Yes, it's kind of scary that those guys 20 years ago, most of whom are now deemed like crazy people and kind of completely out of their element. Like Alan Wallace. Like they're still the standard. That's still what we set our terminology by is by what guys like Max Imfinger set up for us. Max I mean, like, really? That's the craziest that's person on this planet. 
Have you seen how crazy Max Zimfinger is now? I don't know that he's been on my radar since, you know, I don't know, 05, 06, I think he like started, uh, he started like ChristianMingleRecruiting.com or something like that. <laughs> That's interesting. Oh. It was really strange. That that would be a, uh, that needs to be a 30 for 30. That's a niche You group. really could make a 30 for 30 on Max M. Finger. Because, I mean, he was, he was the guy that made USA Today's high school All-American team. He alone was responsible for that. And that's why the freaking movie Blindside is so stupid because of idiot boy in there going, Nick Saban needs his recruiting video right now. That's him? No, that's, uh, what's his... Lemming? Uh, Tom, Tom Lemming. Tom Lemming. Oh, God, don't Who get me started. Is he, everybody out there, like, you? he's one of those guys you watch, and you're like, that dude's a cootie. Like, you know, you know it. Well, he's had... I mean, how much plastic surgery has he had? It doesn't even get justified in that movie, in the things you see. He is that is that isn't that yeah. don't you find that offensive? Tom Lemming's kind of like a Kardashian, I think. He's kind of like a recruiting Kardashian. Yeah, he really is. That's a a, that's a, a lemming, if you will. <laughs> All right, moving on. Oh. Uh, Sedarian Lamb. We haven't talked about him uh, in a recruiting podcast yet, but uh, committed to Oklahoma. Said from the beginning, "Hey, I'm still going to take official visits." That should have been your first warning <laughs> sign there. Uh, but Josh, just uh, your thoughts on on Sedarian Lamb. Well, you know, this is a guy that he committed in early December. I went and saw him about three weeks before he committed, and he was talking about at that point, you know, hey, I like the Oklahoma offer. I may go up there and check them out. But if LSU offers, I know what I want to do. Well, once he got that LSU offer, at the very least, he was going to take a long look around. Now, like we talked about a little bit off air, you know, he's visited Baylor and A&M in the last week, and I think he's starting – to get really involved and earnest in his recruitment. So I, I think that's going to happen. But everybody I talk to, both you know around him and both uh, and on Oklahoma side of things, I get the impression that, that Oklahoma still feels they can reel him back in. This isn't something that they're waving a white flag on. They're not saying it's done. And when I talk to people at LSU, I don't think he's a for-sure take for them. So I think some of the idea that, well, he'll just pick LSU – I don't think that's as straightforward as it seems. So, I, you know, I get why everyone's concerned, and I get that, uh, you know, it's something that people kind of hate about today's, you know, age of recruiting. But at the same time, nobody hated it when he committed in December. I mean, that, you can't have that both ways. When kids are deciding this early, stuff like this is just inevitable. It's going to happen. And for him, a no, uh, you know, a local or, a, excuse me, a native Louisiana guy, it's, it's a really strong pull for him to go play for LSU, the home state school, and I think he'll go camp there this summer, and then I think LSU will kind of have an idea of what they want to do with him. You know, if they want to take him, if they want to push for him, if they don't. You know, it's kind of a situation very similar to Cody Ford a couple years ago yeah. when he went down and camped at LSU, and LSU just said, you know, we like him, but we think we've got some guys that, you know, that we like a little better. I kind of get the feeling that's where this is going to go because – I mean, this is LSU. They they have no trouble recruiting wide receivers, and if they they identify other guys and can go tell them they're going to be the next Odell Beckham, they're going to land a lot of guys that way. They so should. I think it may be from kind of what I've gathered, LSU's looking at three or four receivers, and I would say he's somewhere around six or seven. So they're going to have to miss out on some guys, and I think if OU is patient, and OU fans, you know, will kind of take their time with this. I think they might end up happy in the end. I think it's. Uh interesting that you point out uh 
the conversation about the the new age of recruiting and what happens now and and i kind of wonder if these and i think i know this is the case for in a lot of situations but these guys if they're told commit early lock up a spot it's going to be there for you down the road and then kind of play the game or these guys kind of jump into the recruiting before they know what they're getting into i liked what you said where uh, lane was starting to get into his recruiting in earnest almost as if okay well now I, ha- I understand that it's not just about committing and playing the game i need to go see these places i need to realize what i want and what i need and then that can kind of start to take over throughout the process but that doesn't mean also that that commitment initially isn't still beneficial for you you'd rather get that commitment early than not even though it doesn't mean as much as before the numbers still point out that that early commitment still should help out in the long run overall in the aggregate so I, I guess I'm just saying that some people might want to say, ah, early commitments, they're not going to pay attention to any of them anymore. And I say, don't do that. Those still matter. You'd still rather have that guy locked up early than not. I as th- long, I think the important thing is if in the past, and, and Josh can tell you this, we've seen it, a kid commits and decommits and, and the coaches, uh, they're, they're as big a problem as, as anything because they get mad and you know then they give up on the kid or you know don't recruit him the same way anymore and and just feel like that there's no way they're going to get him back. I, but I don't I don't know, Josh, you're better to speak on this than me, but I get a feeling that this staff isn't going to take that route. Like Dennis Simmons, Kel Gundy, they're, they're guys that will just keep working. Yeah, see, that's, Kerry, that's a great point. It kind of, it, it was something that I wasn't sure you were going to say as you started that point, and you're absolutely right on. Like, because I used to get that feeling when I would talk to people you know, uh, around the staff, they'd say, oh, man, they're just sick of this and they, they hate how this is working and they don't want to be part of this. Well, when the whole, you know, and we'll kind of I know we're kind of we're going to talk about this. But as we as I was talking to some people this week about the whole Aaron Moorhead situation at Texas A&M, I kind of got a feeling of well, what was his problem? You know, and I almost got the feeling like I empathize with the guy more than some of maybe, you know, the the staff and other people that I was talking to that, that they just thought this is part of the game and this is the where this is now you got to deal with it and you got to move on and I think that's just Oklahoma staff getting younger becoming more in touch with how recruiting works these days because like Joe said these guys commit and at the time they commit you know for Lamb's case uh, to Oklahoma he'd met OU a couple of times he'd been around them he'd probably talked to him on Twitter probably had two or three phone conversations by and large, it's a school and a name at that point in time. That, that's all there is to that decision. They, they don't know much about the school. They don't know anything about the academics, what the offense looks like. I mean, they know Baker Mayfield threw for a bunch of yards, but do they have anybody like me already on campus? Have they recruited guys that have skill sets like me? Is there anyone from my area, my back, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They don't have any of those questions answered. They are just looking at a school and a name and comparing it to other schools and other names. And that's that's how you get these early commitments. But as Joe said, Oklahoma's got 12 commitments right now. I'd be shocked if less than 10 of them end up signing with OU come National Signing Day. I mean, there's, there's going to be some play. There's going to be some movement. That's going to happen. But at the same time, you take the good with the bad because I'll almost guarantee that those two spots will probably be filled by two guys that are committed elsewhere right now. That, that's just that's the way this goes, and that's why you've got to recruit from beginning to end. And you, once a guy's committed, coaches used to be able to kind of just you know lock it down and it's over and it's good. It doesn't work like that anymore. You have to keep recruiting a commitment the same way you're recruiting the five-star guy that hasn't even been on campus yet. 
it feels really weird this recruiting cycle too just in in that i guess we've seen it a little bit more going to these rcs camps and there's been a bigger uh group of ou guys that have already been committed but it just feels like this this class is a little bit different in that there it feel there's true leaders i guess is the best way to put it in this class and when you look at guys like levi draper justin broyles uh, trey brown those types of guys it seems like uh, maybe guys are maybe a little bit not as i don't know I don't want to say that it, they're, that they're going to sign everybody. There, there's probably going to be a couple guys out of that group that don't uh, end up signing, but uh, maybe it's just a little bit harder when you have that core foundation of guys to uh, to that they've built a relationship with uh, to turn your back, I guess, on them uh, before the signing day even comes around. Oh, you fans have to love Justin Broyles. I mean, that guy is just great, and he's out there recruiting and he's taking ownership for the. Re- the recruitment part of the process. He's not just saying, okay, well, I'm going to sign with Oklahoma. My job is done. He says, I'm a member of the Oklahoma football family now. It is my job now to help as whatever I can. And Justin Broyles has this magnanimous personality. And so he's out there kind of helping recruit, leading the Sooner squad 17 charge. And so I think to Eddie's point, he's, he's kind of taking people take ownership of the class more so than ever, really. I mean, I think back to guys like Brennan Clay did stuff like that too, but it's, it is kind of rare for this to happen so early, right, Josh? It, it is, you know, and something, and it's it kind of goes into what Eddie said is, we've rarely seen a class like this that was so not only you know with so many numbers in it, but with so many quality players that were going to be at these big elite camps. So that's kind of rare. And then you throw on top of it, a guy like Broyles did something I've never seen before. Because when we talked to him after the camp, I was like, man, you didn't go through many reps, you didn't do a lot. And he goes, man, I'm here to recruit. Like I mean, you know, <laughs> and, and that's just the way he saw that. And he actually reached out to me not too long ago to kind of see what the chances were of uh, him going to the five-star challenge. And I didn't talk to him about what his goals were, but I have no doubt that Justin Broyles sees uh, that as a chance to go there and be an on-site recruiter. We get to basically be a, you know, a Chip Viney on hand selling OU to all these guys. And the, the only thing that's a concern about that is there is a very real – chance of do you push too hard yeah. do, you, do you push on to guys that don't know you and aren't comfortable with you I mean Justin Broyles can push Trey Brown all he wants he knows that kid Levi Draper same deal with Trey you know those kind of things but you have to be real careful I think fans sometimes fall in love with oh he's pushing and he's recruiting all these guys that can turn out some guys off you know you've got to walk a real fine line and I, and I don't think Justin's done that I haven't heard that from anybody I, I don't want it to you know me say you know, this to come off as me saying he's doing something wrong. I think he's helping Oklahoma almost unanimously. Yeah, but at some at point you kind of—it's a, it's a question. You kind of become a Lakers fan. I mean, like you just talk about Kobe so much and so much, <laughs> yeah. and everybody just hates Kobe. So yeah, you have to you have to be careful. I'll tell you I, one thing I was thinking of is, uh, and this is kind of shows you how far the OU coaching staff has come. And they used to be a lot more old school, but I thought about this this week because of uh, you know the the tragedy with Greg Bryant. Um, you know he was he was at our first five star challenge in Atlanta, uh, and there were a bunch of Notre Dame guys there, and he ended up you know going to Notre Dame, uh, and then a couple of years after that, Jay Norvell actually talked Dallas Todd into not going to rival stuff yeah. because he was afraid that people would turn, you know, people people would turn his commitment yeah. from Oklahoma to I can I think maybe I can't remember what the big school was that year. UCLA, UCLA was making a push I it was thought. was UCLA. We had a bunch of UCLA guys at that camp and so they got really free. But I don't think coaches would worry about that stuff anymore. But I mean that was kind of like the olden times of recruiting that, for those guys. 
That was before people were sliding in DMs. <laughs> yeah. I, I do feel like kids have, uh, recruits have started to realize the power they have in this situation more so. And in, in, in it's been in the last few years, even since Dallas Todd's recruitment. I mean, if, if Jade Norvell tried that now, I think a receiver would say, well, I think I have more power in this situation than you do, so I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, you know what ended up being stupid about that was that was the Chicago year, which was Joe Mixon, Micaiah Quick, yep. uh, and it was like a big... Like soon, there was a big sooner. Well, not big, but a sooner contingent there. Remember DeAndre Clark was at that. Stephen Parker was up there. Stephen Parker was up there. Yeah. So there was a lot of uh, uh, OU UCLA rivalry going on there. There was a lot of skepticism about what what UCLA was going to do to OU's class around that time. Remember Joe Mixon? I mean, up until the day he signed, people were talking about UCLA sneaking in on him, and so I thought (laughs) it was up until the the second that he announced. I I remember being up in the press box with Josh up at uh, at the Alamo Bowl and. Uh, I mean, the UCLA guys were pretty convinced he was going to Los Angeles. All right. Well, uh, moving on a little bit, I don't want to get caught too much in one subject, but uh, Marvin Wilson, we haven't talked about him on a recruiting podcast yet, but Josh, I know you put it out there that, uh, you know, official visit was going to happen uh, with Oklahoma, but just, just kind of your thoughts on on Marvin Wilson. I know you're getting ready to to talk to him here this week as well, uh, but but where you think things are right now with Oklahoma and Marvin Wilson. Well, you know, I was hearing as of a week, two ago, that Oklahoma, not probably maybe a month ago, that Oklahoma was having some trouble kind of getting in touch with him, that he, he wasn't quite getting back to them the way, you know, a guy will. And, and I think that's something that gets lost, is you can read a lot of stuff into that. I know I do. When I can get a, a recruit to get back to me after I tell him, hey, man, I'm Josh with the OU site for Rivals, that's usually a pretty good indicator, okay? That, that usually says something about it. But when it's a coach, that's, that's glaring. If, if you're not contacting the coach, your level of interest just isn't there. Over the last few weeks, I've been told that's really changed. It's starting to turn around. He's getting in touch. Uh, from what I understand, talking a lot to Calvin Thibodeau, uh, the new defensive line coach, I think it's just taken Oklahoma time. Obviously, Thibodeau being a late arrival, uh, it, it's crazy when you think about it that Marvin Wilson was offered two defensive line coaches ago. I mean, that, that's just how much, uh, how early he was recruited and how much has changed for OU in the time. So he, Thibodeau's had to play some catch-up. He's going to show up for the, um, basically the weekend of OU's camp, uh, the first weekend in June, uh, 4th through the 6th. And I think he'll just be there for you know the day. I think he'll drive up the 4th, I think is what he told me. Um, and I, it's huge for Oklahoma. I mean, th- this is their chance to make sure he gets back sometime this fall, either for an official visit or just coming to a game or something along those lines. If this goes well, then you have a chance to make a move. It kind of reminds me of um, the story that – and we, it was in a USA Today article years ago, and we'll leave the author out because that will take us all into a different place, uh, about Jamarcus McFarlane when his mom was talking about going to OU for a visit, and they weren't really that serious about Oklahoma at that point in time. But – and Jackie Ship made such an impression on Jamarcus's mother that they said, okay, we're going to come back and we're going to take another trip. That's kind of what this is for Oklahoma. They get a big chance here to make an impression on Marvin. Now, he won't be up there with his mother or his family. It's just going to be him and kind of the, one of his coaches at Episcopal. But at the same time, Oklahoma needs to hit a home run here. I don't know what they've got planned. I don't know how they're going to do it because obviously they still have to juggle the camp and all that's going along with that. And I don't think Marvin will work out, but if he does, you know, all the better. 
So, like I said, this is it's just a big chance for Oklahoma. I don't think it means anything until he leaves that campus and we know what where things are because if it's just okay, I, I would bet he never comes back. I would, but if I, it goes really well, I think they got a chance. I would imagine Devontae Lampkin has to play a big role in that weekend. You would think. I mean, and, and that's the thing. I mean, Oklahoma now has some presence in Houston. They're not the kind of foreign – foreign entity they used to be like i remember when brandon williams from brookshire chose oklahoma it surprised a lot of people because oklahoma just didn't recruit much in houston but this is this is a chance for them not only to just land a good player in houston but this is the kind of guy that two or three years down the road kids from houston are saying i want to play with marvin wilson and, and matthew romar also on the that defensive line from yeah, the houston area point. will help out too so yeah, Matt Diamond close by. Yeah, so I think to Josh's point, I think you need to Oklahoma needs to give him a sense of to to show him something he didn't think he would see before. Oh man, I didn't think I would see that. I didn't think I would feel this. But you don't want to show him everything, right? You don't you don't want to have him leaving feeling like okay, I kind of get this place, and then he doesn't want to come back. You kind of want to show him something to make him. Oh man, I hadn't thought about OU this way. And then you get those three guys in there to make him give him that at home feel. That's kind of the recipe you want: the excitement and the comfort together, right? I think I think there's a there's a benefit there too that Oklahoma has right now. Uh, you mentioned uh, Calvin Thibodeau, but you know Oklahoma's been. You mentioned this. He was recruited two coaches ago. This is Calvin Thibodeau's dream job. He's not going anywhere. He doesn't have to worry about stability for his position coach. And you've also got Jamarcus McFarlane as graduate assistant right now on the That's staff. That's a good point. So, I mean, another guy that was a five-star guy, defensive lineman coming out of high school, can can really help you know, be another voice, another sales job for, for that. Oh, I mean, you're absolutely right. And you, you talk about it. I mean, Marvin's one of those guys that I guarantee he's got Bob Stoops' cell phone number. He's got, you know, like anybody on that staff he wants to call, OU will make the time to talk to him. So I think that – and to me, Joe kind of hit on it. For me, if I'm there, I'm making sure he's around guys like Kyler Murray, guys, you know, Joe Mixon, guys that not only have a bunch of energy and that are going to really give him a good pitch, but at the same time can talk about other schools that are recruiting him because, you know, Mixon could have gone anywhere. Kyler did go somewhere else. I mean, you know, so you can kind of look through those things. And at the same time, you're not making it – kind of a rote thing well here's our academic facilities and here's this you're making it more about fun and hey i want to go back there and have a good time so hey come back to the ohio state game and after you know and you get you know joe mixon telling him after we win by three touchdowns man you're going to go to some some parties we're going to do all the right stuff so you make it more about being fun and energetic and then once you get him on campus for a weekend then you can hit, okay, this is where we are with our depth chart. This is all the stuff we've got for you here. But, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I would leave it a lot to the players, especially since the players can now be around that camp and work. So while Thibodeau's out there working with the campers, he can be talking to Jamarcus McFarland and, you know, current players, Marquise Overton, Matt Romar, Matt Diamond, go down that list, and that's what I would really be focused on with this trip. Somebody that we haven't talked to uh, you about, Josh, is uh, Trey Sermon, a uh, four-star out of uh, Marietta, Georgia, Sprayberry High School. Uh, just kind of the idea of uh, what that means to Oklahoma. I know you hit on it in the uh, breakdown right after he committed, but uh, OU going into uh, SEC territory uh, into Georgia, where they really haven't had that much success. Uh, what does that mean, and how big of a get was that for uh, Bullware and being able to get a guy in uh, Trey Sermon? 
Well, I mean, to put it in perspective, the last time that OU landed any running back in the state of Georgia was Tashard Choice. I mean, that that tells people how unprecedented this is. It just doesn't happen. And so for Oklahoma to go in and get a guy that was far more highly recruited than Choice was and to do so at a time, you know, when Choice came in, Oklahoma was maybe the team in college football that was consistently playing for national championships year in and year out. So to go and do this when he's got offers from Alabama and Auburn and Georgia and Florida, I mean, and all over the SEC and really all over the country, that's a huge win for Oklahoma. And I think it's even more interesting when you look at it from the perspective of, I think Oklahoma put a little pressure on him and said, hey, you know, if you don't do this, we might have to move in another direction or we're going to have to make some more offers and find a guy who does want to be in place because we might have two running back openings and we need to fill at least one of them as quickly as possible. So it's not just about, oh, yeah, they worked this kid hard, but they showed, you know, that they have enough cachet to kind of push a guy that maybe isn't in their home base toward a commitment. Yeah, and if you – uh look at after this year josh you have samaje piran and joe mixon who could very likely both go pro and then you're looking at for the 2017 season hoping i guess rodney anderson is ready to take the role marcelia sutton coming in i don't know if abdul adams is the guy there's a role there's a space here for someone to come in and have an immediate impact at that position following the footsteps of guys like samaje piran and joe mixon which have elevated the status of the oklahoma running back position which was already very highly thought of so Oklahoma had a lot to sell to Sermon, and so I think OU fans would be probably a little excited to hear that they flexed their muscle a little bit. Maybe that's the wrong word for it, but but pushed a kid, played their hand the way they needed to play it to get somebody locked down. And and we just talked about the guy that I think has the closest comparison to style of play in Joe Mixon. I know that's lofty, uh, compa- a lofty comparison for a former five-star, but those guys are about the same size, 6'2", 220 pounds, and who have agility, who move their feet in ways that guys that size don't normally move their feet. Now, Joe's a little better catching the ball in the backfield, but there aren't guys that catch the ball in the backfield like Joe Mixon very often. So, but, and, and, and Trey is capable of doing that in Lincoln Riley's offense. So I think there is a lot of potential there for Trey Sermon if he can come back from that injury like he was before. Well, and you know, one of the things that that is going to be big is you know OU coaches getting back out on the road for satellite camps, and and you know that's something that we've gone down to. We've seen it, you know, pay benefits for them. It's not, it was never as big as it was made out to be by you know the SEC and the Big Ten and the media. Uh, I mean, we're talking about camps that maybe twenty prospects showed up, but and and that would be on a good day. So, uh, like last year, it was. It was big for for Lincoln Riley just to be able to work out Chris Robinson and Sean Robinson on the same day. Yeah. Uh, but camp's coming up. Josh, what can you kind of tell us about uh, who they're working with, how that's going to go, what you expect uh, moving forward there for Oklahoma? Well, you know, they're going to kind of continue with Sam Houston State, which I think is a great fit because Sam Houston State has enough pull being a big-time D2 program to pull in quality guys that maybe you know Oklahoma hasn't seen and if nothing else they're good enough players to push the three or four guys at any OU camp that OU is targeting they can kind of get a better feel for them you know like last year uh, getting a chance to see Jamon Osmond in Houston or Marvin Wilson at Houston you know I mean th- those were the two real guys at that camp and then I know you guys in Dallas saw you know guys like Charleston Rambo Chris Robison um 
uh, Sean Robinson, you mentioned as well, Robert Barnes being another one. So, you know, it's not just about those guys, you know, being, you know, there need to be 50 guys. You only got two hours. There's only so much you can do. And really, let's be real about it. It's not, they knew Charleston Rambo was a good player. They had seen Chris Robinson. They knew he was a good player. It's about those kids coming out, showing they're interested, and then Oklahoma being able to make up their mind and spend two hours basically talking to Chris Robinson about his family and his what he wants out of the recruiting process. You know, all those things, they can just sit there and cover. And I think Oklahoma and any other major program gets that advantage. And that's what these things are about from a major program standpoint. That, that's what they want to do. And for Oklahoma to get this opportunity to go do it again around the state, like I said, with Sam Houston State, they're going to find some more guys. And, you know, f- maybe maybe they will find one or two that they don't know that well. But it's like we talked about in the last podcast. That's going to be 2018, 2019 guys. And they get to start building those inroads early on. And it looks like it'll be kind of the same schedule as last year, won't it? Mesquite, mm-hmm. South Grand Prairie, and then back down to Down in Houston. Is that right, Josh? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm trying to look up the dates here. I mean, but it's all um, – it, it should be a very similar format. I'm sure th- – they've done the Houston camp the last two or three years at the same complex, kind of over in A-Leaf on the east side uh, – excuse me, on the west side of Houston. Where they so, si- where I, they sealed the deal with one John Humphrey back in the day before absolutely. he transferred that's, out. Absolutely. That's, that's a perfect example that I dropped the ball on. I'm, I'm all for these kids having more opportunities for exposure. I mean, I, I think – we all are right i mean it's not just the ou kids there are other kids out there that are going to go out and ou might not think oh that's that's not a guy for me but bob has connections all over the country you know he could talk to his brother at kentucky he can say to somebody else you know i i saw this guy down here he wasn't good he wasn't right for us but i think you can have a look at him and so it's it's kind of i'm i'm glad these things are back i think we all are that now there's more opportunities for these guys to get seen and to have all that work that they put into the sport now get seen and have well, some exposure look i'm not trying to be like uh um, you know, athletes for humanity here because I mean it, it, it's coaches do take advantage of, of being able to do that. But what is cool from from Oklahoma's perspective, I'm sure, is like last year, like BYU yeah. uh, was there. Uh, you was Rutgers there last year? UCLA was a couple yeah. years ago. UCLA <laughs> was, but they get their prospect. Like BYU brought a quarterback out to work out for them, and you can see him versus Chris Robinson. I mean, you can see really good players and, and you can tell the difference between I mean, I'm sure the BYU coaches were like damn this kid's not as good as the Chris Robinson kid and not as good as that Sean Robinson kid and and but you know it's their guy and they can work it but you get it gives you a chance not just to to catch a diamond in the rough but to really see okay we think this kid is elite but when you see him up against another division one prospect then you can kind of know he's elite well yeah it's kind of like what we were talking about a little off air with uh, Bray Walker um it- and hopefully he's somebody who we've seen in person a few times uh, live in games, but he, you really aren't sure of what you're seeing until you see them go up against other elite competition mm-hmm. that they'll be facing in college. And if you don't see that, it, it's true to have a real evaluation. I mean, what, what, are we, what is somebody supposed to take away from watching Bray Walker, who's 6'7", 300 pounds, trying to block a guy who's six foot one, 220 pounds? You know, I mean, there's not much to be taken away from that. So these camps do provide that opportunity. The uh, Sam Houston uh, football camps will be with Oregon, Oklahoma, UCLA, and BYU. Uh, June 11th, uh, they'll start out at Mesquite at 8 a.m. and then go to Grand Prairie at 3 p.m., same schedule as last year, and then uh, on down to uh, Alif, 
ISD the next day in Houston on June 12th, and then uh, Sam Houston, I guess, will have their uh, their own camp at uh, at Sam Houston in Huntsville on July 24th. I'm trying to figure out the wisdom or the play or whatever of Baylor and Michigan combining to get like what is Art? I mean, Art Browse always has some angle that he's playing. Like, what angle is he? Play, is he playing the? Well, if we don't get him, we want to get him out of this area so we don't have to compete send, against send him. Send him to bake to the Big yes. Ten. I don't quite get how that's a positive for, for Baylor. With Art Browse, I wouldn't be surprised if Jim Harbaugh goes missing after that weekend. <laughs> I bet Jim Harbaugh could he could he could survive out in the, the swamps on like he's gonna rats be on, and stuff. He will be on naked and afraid in less than a year. He's going to Australia for a camp. That's true. But I, you know, I thought about this morning. That's really not... I mean, it's kind of like Million Dollar Arm. There's so many rugby players out there that might not be a bad idea, Josh. The one I love is Samoa. Samoa, yeah. Like, that's oh, that's crazy. Genius. Yeah, that's, that I mean, is. I'm looking at Michigan satellite camps right now. It's, I think they have like... I guess there's, there's over 20. There's two in Alabama, four in California, one in Connecticut, one in Georgia, three in Florida, one in Kansas, 11 in Michigan, one in Missouri, one in Mississippi, two in New Jersey. He's having one 30 miles away from Ann Arbor. Is he really? Yes. I it, mean, it's just unbelievable. Three in Texas, one in Hawaii, one in Samoa, Australia. That's that's taking it overboard in my opinion. Can I just opinion. say Jim Harbaugh doesn't seem like a lot of fun? I mean, that's, I would not want to work for that man. There are situations where I guess I'd like to be around him, like a survival thing. If we're stranded somewhere, I guarantee he'd be great. If we had to get in a fight, I bet you that guy would go 10 rounds. But, I mean, hanging out with that guy must be miserable. I mean, he cannot have any fun. Doesn't seem to have a personality at all. You know, the, the thing about it, and everybody's going to freak out about, oh, this is, this is what we worried about. You know, he's going to have 30 satellite camps, blah, blah, blah. He'll stop that. You, you're not going to keep a staff together no. doing 30 satellite camps a summer. It's not going to happen. He'll do this one. It'll be a big deal. And I guarantee you next year it'll be half as many, if, if that. It'll, it'll calm down. I think right now the satellite camps is such a buzzy topic that he's taking advantage of it. I mean, say whatever you will about the guy, not much fun, blah, blah, blah. He understands how to work public perception. And that's that's maybe as much as any gift he has. He really gets that kind of stuff. Like the, you know, the, the camp, the sleepover at one of the recruits' houses or, you know, climbing in the tree, you know, with one of them. You know, all, all this crazy stuff. But it gets attention. It gets people paying attention. And now he's, I mean – with probably the exception of Nick Saban, he's probably the most famous coach in college football. But it also, I think it also highlights why he got into the troubles he did with San Francisco because this is not, he's not living in reality. You cannot ask college assistants to work that much. I mean, it's just, it's impossible. They, they will, they will die. I mean, it, it's not literally die, but they won't want to work for you anymore. They won't be productive. I mean, Coaches have as hard a jobs as they've ever had, and now he's taking it up to another level. Like, who the hell wants to stay there? I mean, if people are going to be sending out their resumes trying to get out of there after this summer's over. Unless he has a staff full of young Bill Snyders ready to just stay up all night watching film. I don't, I don't, I have no idea how you keep that up. Although, coaches are a different breed. Those guys are wired a little differently. Yeah. I mean, Brent Venables would survive that, I know. Well, his son's on the staff, so he's got at least one safe position but i'm these are you know they're just like anybody else they got young kids and wives that want them home and all that kind of stuff so i mean there's there's all of that stuff to consider 
what I can't imagine is like being one of the Michigan reporters. Like how, honey, I have to go to Australia for three days. <laughs> you know, like, well, that's when you take the wife with you. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, but I'm but not then, paying for that though. I think say how, uh, you know, guys. We all know what we're making, and I don't know how I I, I could possibly cover half of the camps that he's doing around the country. No, huh. I mean it would. There's no way. I'm just trying to think through my head. Like, how could we do that? There's no way we could. No, no. Uh, all right, uh, Joe. Uh, I know we're running a little short, short on time. Uh, some some hoops recruiting news, a new commit, and uh, anything that we want to touch on there. Yeah, I'll just uh, real quick. Uh, Oklahoma just got a commitment for their 2016 class, which we thought they might late add somebody. Um, they didn't get Marquise Bolden, the five star center, uh, but they added Jordan Shepard, who is a combo guard from North Carolina. He was really flying under the radar, and I'm told uh, by sources that the coaches tried to keep it that way. They wanted to get him on campus, not let a, not, a lot of people know he was here, and try to get him locked up and signed, which they did do. He left campus, signed, and committed to Oklahoma, and uh, they like him a lot. They think he's somebody who could be an Isaiah Cousins type, play both the one and the two at 6'3", 6'4", with a lot of length and athleticism. Uh, he, he might not come in and contribute right away, they have a lot of depth at the shooting guard position, uh, but he does come in and give you a guy that can play the backup point if Darian Strong struggles. He can come in and play defense if Rashard Odoms or some of those other guys, young guys, Christian James, although Christian James is a fabulous defender. I don't see him struggling there, but he's someone who comes in, brings depth immediately, and they like him a lot. Uh, outside of that, in the 2017, Oklahoma has about as active of a recruiting and basketball uh, situation as they've had since Jeff Capel was here. Um, and they have multiple five stars they're in on. They have guys like Trey Young from Norman North, which you all probably know about. Uh, Trayvon Duvall from Dallas, another five-star point guard that's visited Oklahoma. And recently, they just offered the number one player in the country, DeAndre Ayton, who's a seven-foot, 250-pound guy from the Bahamas. And so now you can see that Oklahoma connection already there because he's a fan of Buddy Heald. He was a fan of OU during last year. OU takes their time with these offers. As I've said before, they make sure... There's nobody sticking their hand out. There's no red flags on the court or off of it. And they kind of do their homework and vet. And they, they finally decided that DeAndre Ayton is somebody that they were willing to uh, make that offer for and take that chance on. And people think that Oklahoma has a very real chance here at getting the number one play in the country, which is exciting coming off of a Final Four bid and uh, having a Wooden Award winner. So a lot of buzz right now in uh, Norman recruiting circles. And I'm also hearing that Trey Young and Oklahoma, they are starting to really think that that could – that they are the leader there and that they are in good position to hold on. So wow. he, he, will, he will have guys coming from Kentucky and Duke and Kansas forever. That will never stop. But at least Oklahoma thinks they have the high ground right now. It's pretty amazing what they're going to bring in in that 2016 class when you consider that Austin Grandstaff's already on campus. Uh, Matt Freeman went through the whole him and Grant stuff, I guess, went through the whole NCAA tournament with that kind of, uh, I guess, just experience being around it probably helps a little bit. Yeah, and they also add Christian Doolittle, who's in the Rivals 150. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, 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 oh, crud. I'm completely blanking on Cameron McGusty. Cameron McGusty. Cameron McGusty. Yeah, McGusty. Another uh, top 100 kid. So uh, this is, uh, I mean, and, and you touched on him. I think Matt Freeman might be the biggest get out of that class from New Zealand. He's a 6'10", 6'11", power forward who can shoot the three very yeah. consistently. We've... We'd seen him at practice and stuff, and Eddie's been there more than I have. You can see that guy's got some great shooting touch at that height. They think he's going to bring a new dimension to the offense next year. Well, and not to mention uh, Darian Strong, who's one of the top-rated uh, Juco guards Juco that guards. would probably come in and uh, give a little bit more aid to Jordan Woodard. I would say uh, Darian Strong might come in and have a very Sam Grooms 
same Groomsian type career, which is no, <laughs> nothing to to sneeze at. I think he can. You come need that be, guy. You need that guy. You need an experienced backup point guard, and he comes in and bring and brings that. Look at the Thunder right now. If they they don't have that. I mean, Randy Foy's kind of played poorly, and they basically have to leave Westbrook out there. You need that that strong kind of backup point guard presence. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, Darian Strong's that guy. Well, it's good stuff. And uh, Josh, uh, appreciate uh, you uh, joining us as well for another edition of the Unofficial 40. Uh, anything uh, that we've left out there that you wanted to, to jump in with before we get out of here? Well, just so that I can say that I'm the well-rounded guy that I you know, aspire to be like you all, For I, I, I kind of was thinking about this. Trey Young, Oklahoma lands him. Where does he figure into like the biggest in-state recruits for Oklahoma? I mean, he's got to be up there with like the Ryan Humphreys, right? I mean, I mean, obviously Humphrey didn't end up at Oklahoma immediately, but I mean that it's got to be on that kind of level as far as importance, right? Well, Blake Griffin, number one, I of mean, course. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna. Well, but, uh, now Wayman. Well, yeah, Wayman. Blake Griffin and Wayman are two good ones. Uh, D'Angelo Alexander from Midwest City back in the day is another good yeah. guy. Uh, I mean, yeah, but, but, but he was he wasn't to the level of like a Blake. Yeah, they have a history of not getting those guys out of Oklahoma. Uh, what was that Sheldon, Sheldon Williams, Williams went to yeah, Duke? Went to Duke. Uh, uh, God, what was the guy? C.J. Henry went. C.J. Henry, J.R. Giddens went to Kansas. Xavier Henry. Xavier Henry went to Kansas. And, and C.J. Henry went to Major League Baseball. I, yeah, I'm blanking out on that. C.J. Henry still can't hit a curveball. I am. <laughs> I'm a one-for-one one all-time against C.J. Henry, just so you know. Uh, that's beside the point. Uh, so, uh, Trey Young, to your point, Josh, is the highest-ranked commit, the highest-ranked recruit from Oklahoma since Xavier Henry six years ago. Or I think it was actually longer than that. might have been seven years ago. This is, this is a big deal for Oklahoma if they land Trey Young. He is a Steph Curry type of player. He is an unbelievable shooter from deep. He can shoot off the dribble. He can shoot off the catch. He can shoot when he doesn't exactly have the right kind of grip. If he's off balance, he's that good of a shooter. And it's kind of where the game is evolving to. And he's and I think uh, it's something that Oklahoma fans have kind of always wanted that unbelievable sharpshooter, which I guess Buddy Buddy Heald brought last year. But he had that was something he had to work on for a long time. Trey is a much more naturally gifted shooter than Buddy ever was. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Unofficial 40. For uh, Josh McQuistian, Eddie Radosevich, and Joe Duvall, I am Kerry Murdoch, and uh, we'll be back again next week uh, with another team podcast for you. We've got some other special stuff coming up. Another, We're going to have three different podcasts going here uh, starting tomorrow. We're going to have a, a, a special podcast that uh, I'm going to be doing on my own. Uh, get away from these jerkwads. Uh, Good call. And uh, do something on my own, but uh, just interviewing uh, people one-on-one. So uh, looking forward to uh, starting to get some of those out there as well. And uh, lots of good stuff coming up on the website. Like we said, we'll be in Kansas City this weekend for the Rivals Camp, for the Rivals Camp Series. Uh, we've got the Five Star Challenge coming up in June as well, and all the satellite camps coming up in OU's own OU's camp, uh, yeah. camp to cover as well. So lots of stuff coming to you throughout the summer. Uh, never an off-season here at Soonerscoop.com. So thanks for listening. We'll be back next time. And we'll see you then.